let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, we are joined by Virginia Public Radio's Michael Pope to talk about the elections in Virginia and what they may mean for you. Plus, CityCast Priyanka Tilvey and I will dig into winter forecasts and the new DC eateries on Michelin's Bib Gourmand list. Today is Friday, November 3rd. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Hey, Priyanka. Hey. And Michael Pope, welcome to the show. It's great to be back. Thank you for having me. All right. So you uh, are a friendly voice from Virginia on our local public radio station. And anybody within eyesight of uh, a advertising vehicle can tell you there is an election going on. And we are seeing ads for all kinds of like state legislative races and, you know, other sorts of elections that for a long time were way too small time for actual TV advertising, but not this year. There's a ton of money flowing in. Can you give us the, the basic lay of the land? Sure, yeah. I mean, well, as you said, if you are anywhere near a television, you can't help but be overwhelmed by all of these ads. There is a Loudoun Senate race where there has been like $6 million paid to book TV time. There's a House race in Prince William County where a huge amount of money has been spent booking TV time. There's a new thing that I'm seeing, though, with this election cycle, which I recently saw a television ad for a Fairfax school board race. And I don't remember ever seeing a television commercial in the D.C. media market for a school board race. So that's a new one. There are things on the ballot all over Virginia. All 140 seats in the General Assembly are on the ballot. So that's 100 in the House. 40 seats in the Senate. That doesn't mean they're all competitive. There are many, many unchallenged seats here. In fact, one out of four seats in the General Assembly is unchallenged. There's a whole bunch of people who have absolutely no opponent on the ballot, including where I live, actually, my local House member, no, no challenger. Wow. Um, and so you'll actually find that a, a lot. So wait, why are people who could presumably be doing lots of things with their money spending it or giving it to candidates in order to spend on like TV ads in an incredibly expensive media market for things like uh, state legislative seats. Because they want to win. Yeah, I feel like this is the first time that I can remember where people are super, super jazzed or invested in a state legislature race. It seems like they want to win every time. So there's something different this time. What's the something different? The something different would be the stakes are so extremely high because we're on the other side of this election. Either the Republicans will control everything, the governor's office, the House, the Senate, and the Republicans 
will be able to do anything that they want to do. Roll back abortion rights, get rid of the electric vehicle mandate, pull back on the Clean Energy Act, change the 45-day window of early voting. I mean, if the Republicans win the Senate and the House, they've already got the governor's office, they will be able to enact their agenda, the Republican agenda, um, versus if the Democrats are able to maintain power in the Senate, maybe even take the House, they will serve as a check on the Republican governor. So the stakes really could not be higher for the next two years and whether or not Governor Yunkin becomes the Republican darling and is able to enact his agenda or the Democrats are able to stop him. For people who aren't interested in like Virginia, you know, legislative arcana, uh, there's sort of two big things here. One is that thanks to the Supreme Court, states now decide whether or not you have a right to have an abortion. And Virginia, maybe this is like a glimpse of the future in all the states where suddenly there's something existential about state legislative elections that didn't used to exist. And then the second is that they don't have just any governor. They have one who's sort of being touted as a potential future of the Republican Party kind of guy. And he wants to demonstrate that he's got some political juice in his purple home state. Yes. Well, the Supreme Court decision basically does, in fact, as you laid out, mean that abortion rights are now a state issue. So essentially, abortion rights will be on the ballot every year in Virginia and in every state election. It's particularly heightened in this particular election because of the dynamics here. You know, if Republicans win, abortion rights will be rolled back. I mean, like they have said this on the campaign trail, the governor has multiple times said that he has been campaigning on the 15 week ban for most women. So this is a ban for most women. It's a limitation for others. But even then, you know, he's on record saying that he would sign any restriction on abortion. So if it's a 100% ban, he's on record saying that he would sign that as well. So the stakes really could not be higher for all of the issues, but the one that's really grabbed people's attention is abortion rights. What is likely to happen here? Like, what are the polls saying? What do people expect the Republicans to get all three, the trifecta? Polling is difficult when you talk about such small districts, you know, like polling is notoriously unreliable in congressional districts. We're talking about districts that are even smaller than congressional districts, right? So there has been polling about sort of statewide polling of, you know, are you supporting your local Democrat? Are you supporting your local Republican? And the Democrats do seem to have a very small edge, but is that within the margin of error or it's tough to say. And the Democrats do feel like they've got some momentum based on abortion rights and Republican extremism. We'll have to see, you know, when the election returns start coming in next week. A lot of the commercials that I am seeing from Republicans, on the other hand, play up crime and this uh, supposed crisis. Is there something like practical that they would do about crime or is this just that, you know, they want to like let everyone know they don't like criminals? Well, fact check on the crime wave. If you look at FBI crime statistics, we're not in a crime wave. In fact, crime is very low compared to the early 90s. So if you look at violent crime, it's down 40% since the early 90s. If you look at property crime, it's down 60% since the early 90s. We're actually at one of the lowest points ever for the most popular kind of crime, which is property crime. So, you know, all of this fear-mongering that you see on the airwaves about a crime wave, the FBI statistics just don't back that up. You asked about what the Republicans would do if they were elected. 
And yeah, they actually do have a long list of things that they want to accomplish, mainly rolling back all the criminal justice reform efforts the Democrats did when they were in power. On the campaign trail, you have Republicans campaigning against woke prosecutors. So, you know, the most prominent of which we actually have in Fairfax County, one of the progressive prosecutors for justice. The Republicans don't like the progressive prosecutors for justice and they're campaigning against them. And they they want to roll back a lot of these criminal justice reform efforts that we have seen over the past few years. So weird hearing you, Michael, lay out those crime statistics for Virginia while I sit here in D.C. and it feels like we've got like the inverse on all of Every single stat that you mentioned just strikes me as such a a weird juxtaposition. Yeah, the crime statistics, like you've got this microscopic look at things that are going up and things like pull out of that here and pull, you know, if you were looking at a computer screen, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, and you will see that the highest crime rates statewide in Virginia, I was looking at Virginia crime stats here from the FBI, statewide, the highest crime stats were in the early 90s, and it's not even close. This is a line that goes straight down since the early 90s. But people don't vote on FBI crime stats. They vote on their perceptions. One of the political trends of this entire Washington area in the last generation or two has been that it's become a kind of a place that's quite similar across jurisdictional lines, right? Like the politics are generally left or center left, whatever the county, whatever the state, what you can do legally, what you can get, you know, what you can't. There was a time when, you know, there was like legal segregation of public transport in Virginia, not in D.C. So the bus crosses the Potomac, laws change. The idea that they would ban abortion in Virginia, all of a sudden, like really boosts the foreignness of one jurisdiction. And I think would mean that people would suddenly start thinking much differently about like, where do I choose to live in this region? It's not just sort of about what, where I can get the best house and so on. And I think that, that I think will represent, if it were to happen, a really significant like change in the culture of being a Washingtonian. Yes, undoubtedly true. It would mean that when you leave the district and come into Virginia, you are no longer coming into the last southern state to have abortion rights. You are now going into a state that bans abortion. There's a debate about is this a 15 week ban that we're talking about or a 15 week limitation? Democrats have been calling it on the campaign trail, 15 week ban. Republicans have pretty recently started pushing back and saying, no, it's not a ban. It's a limitation because there are exceptions for the life of the mother. And there are exceptions that they have built into their proposed ban. But it is a ban for most women. It's only a limitation for some women. So that's important to think about here because we're talking about existing rights. If the Republicans get into power, they want to roll back existing rights. And whether you call that a ban or whether you call that a limitation, it's removing rights that are that currently exist and pulling them back. And that's what's on the ballot in Virginia. Yeah, it really feels like they're splitting hairs there with that terminology. Well, they gotta, they've got to make their case. This is not the first election where abortion has been the central issue, right? And so if you look at recent elections where Democrats have been successful in campaigning on the issue of abortion rights, what you find is criticism of Republicans for not making the case. They tried to change the subject. 
They didn't address the abortion issue head on. And so they're trying to do something a little bit different with this election cycle, which is they've got their own argument on abortion rights and they're leaning into it. Instead of ignoring the issue of abortion rights, they've got an argument to make and they're leaning into it. David, thanks for chatting with me. So like you and I both have cars in the DC metro area and sometimes they're great, but sometimes they can be a hassle. And I heard you had car issues, man. Yes, my car like me is old and falling apart. (laughs) And so I wanted to get it fixed. But one of the truly unpleasant tasks I find in the world is getting your car fixed because you have to take it usually somewhere extremely distant, extremely inconvenient, arrange some alternate form of transportation. And so I heard about Rota, rota Rota.com. And I went on the Rota.com website and they will come and pick your car up, take it from you, and then do the work and bring it back to you. And so I made an appointment on Rota, which was easy as pie, beautiful user interface um, for the work that I wanted done. The valet showed up at around 10 o'clock at my house as exactly on time, very easy, just handed him my keys. He drove off with my car. About an hour later, April called me she said, here are some things that we found with your car in addition to what you want to do. She sent me videos that Michael... Wait, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a car nerd, so I like want to know the nitty gritty of what's happening because I, I don't know stuff. A million percent. They sent me this video. There was a particular belt that was had broken and they sent me a video of it and they sent me a list of sort of here are the things that were recommended, here are the things that seemed urgent to fix and I could choose what I wanted to fix and sent that back to them, which took me like three minutes. Michael, the technician, fixed it. They then texted me and said, oh, your car's on the way back. My car was back in front of my house at 2.30. I'd given it to them at 10. It was back in front of my house that afternoon. Also, note, the valet did a much better job parking in front of my house than I do. (laughs) Don't they always? So much closer to the curb. And it was an incredibly pleasant, super easy experience. And they were very trustworthy. They were clear about what they were going to fix. And it was incredibly convenient. Yeah. So this like seems like a dream. Uh, I have used them before, but it's been a bit. Would you use them again for something like this? I would use Rhoda again in a second. I would use Rhoda. And they have a discount for us too, for CityCast listeners. So if you go to Rhoda.com, they have the discount code CityCast20 and you get 20% off. Sweet. Uh, Plots, David, thank you so much for talking with me. Again, CityCast listeners, you get 20% off off any Rhoda service up to $100 using the code CityCast20. So go to Rhoda.com. That's R-O-D-A.com to book your appointment. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. All right. So one thing that will be the same across the region and is not subject to local voters' uh, choices is uh, weather. My neighbor (laughs) said to me, hey, a bunch of nuts have predicted that it's going to be a really cold winter. 
And uh, haha, it turned out that what he was referencing was the farmer's almanac wisdom that years when there's like a big fall of acorns will have a cold winter. This is not necessarily borne out by you know science, but there are a bunch of predictions of winter weather have landed this week, most of which suggest it'll at least be a wetter winter, which means more snow for DC. It's been relatively snow-free last few years. Yeah, I mean, if that acorn thing is true, then it's going to be the winteriest winter ever because I've been bonked on the head many, many times this fall. Are you okay? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you tell me. Do I sound okay? I don't know. Some of those points you made before are a little... I know. I'm feeling a little nutty, so uh, we'll see. Ooh, oh, I like it. <laughs> DC winter weather conversations are some of my least favorite conversations in DC. I think that the like kind of excitement slash crisis of like, oh my God, it's snowing is Palookaville-ish here because it just doesn't happen that much. But even worse than that is that because it's a place which attracts a lot of people moving from elsewhere, some of those elsewhere people come from actual snowy climbs and then invariably get all snooty about how uh, DC people don't know how to handle themselves in the snow, which is surely a correct point. But I think the changes in the last few years, the pandemic and so on, changes particularly in a City like uh, Washington, which uh, has so much office work uh, as a percentage of the labor, mean that weather just kind of matters, in theory at least, matters less. Like you don't have to miss work. You could do it from home. I mean, you don't even have to miss school. The kids have learned how to go to school from home. Does this mean like the end of snow days? Well, you know, not I don't think legally it does. Uh, I mean, I expect people to take <laughs> as much opportunity to take snow days as they can. But, the, but we are in a moment uh, when like a lot fewer people are commuting and uh, a lot and a lot more of the commuting is like, oh, I feel like going in today. That means that like if the roads are impassable because Washington people can't handle themselves in the snow or if offices close early because, you know, according to our northern friends, the federal government is ninny-ish and overly scared about snow. All this matters less on a practical level for the for the lives and obligations of a lot of people. Yeah, well, to your point, Mike, I think that given the inconvenience factor is limited now for most people, I mean, obviously, essential workers would still have to go in. But for most people, like you said, it's not as inconvenient to have a snowmageddon. The whole time I've lived in D.C., it's been fairly mild winters. And I would love to see this place blanketed in snow. I guess Snowmageddon was what, 2009, 2010? I'm a veteran of Snowmageddon. Yeah, what was it like for you? I remember digging out my car over and over and over again. That was that was rough Ooh. times. How about you, Mike? What was your experience like? So these epic DC snows, I mean, they're kind of awesome, right? Like the city is blanketed. It's like genuinely, it's a day off. This is not a place that has the wherewithal to like dust itself off and get back to work within a couple hours. And that's probably like a wise enough investment because it would be given that how much it snows here, it'd be really stupid to to like invest in that many snowplows. Totally. You say they're awesome, but have you tried to parallel park in several feet of snow? <laughs> I mean, it's not fun. I'm sure I have. After a while with all the snow, Snowmageddon was the situation where there was like a lot of snow and then there was a, a period of time when there wasn't snow and then there was a whole lot of snow and there was a, so there was like just a series of snowstorms over one after the next so what happens is all that snow got pushed to the side of the road and then people drove on it and it hardened and then there was more snow and that snow is pushed so every parallel parking space there was the street which was clear then there was a wall of hardened snow 
And then there was the cars parked on the other side. So you had to, in order to parallel park, you had to navigate through these walls of hardened snow. Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't, we have not yet had like a big crisis snowstorm in the age of like ubiquitous uh, use of like Amazon Prime and DoorDash and Uber and so on. You know, the metro is supposed to keep working. It doesn't always, but it's supposed to. People rely on it. But I think a lot of people have now built their lives around relying on these other sorts of transportation options. And it's still an open question about whether, like, if you're an Uber driver, maybe it's just worth your while to just, like, stay home that day. Farmer's almanac wisdom on the big acorn crop is that it means a lot of snow. Is that what we're expecting? If you're a farmer. (laughs) (laughs) The... uh, Public radio reporter's almanac may say something different. (laughs) It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right. So speaking of uh, DoorDash, there's a new uh, Michelin Bib Gourmand, as a person who doesn't get out enough, can't speak to them. But Priyanka can, particularly because we've arranged for a meal to be DoorDashed to her home, even as we record. Yes. Jealous. (laughs) So what are you going to be eating here? Yeah. So Bib Gourmand, for people who don't know, is a Michelin designation that means high quality food at a, quote, more affordable price you know, interpret that as you will. And so the two places that have been added this year are La Tejana and Yellow, as Mike said. Yellow is a Michael Rafiti uh, spot. He and his team have savory and sweet pastries, sandwiches. Um, It's all drawing on his Middle Eastern heritage. So he's got roots in Jordan, Palestine, and Lebanon. Um, And his other restaurant, Albi, which is a Navy Yard, won a Michelin star last year. So he's really killing the Michelin game. And then the other spot, La Tejada, is in Mount Pleasant. They have Tex-Mex breakfast tacos with house-made flour tortillas. I've been there a few times. If you go on the weekend, the line for La Tejana is like down the street and sometimes around the corner. It is wild. Um, they're good breakfast tacos. They do stuff them quite heavily, which is, I don't know. I know some people who don't like that because they think the ratio is off. I know some people that love that because no one wants to skimp on filling, you know, but 
the tortillas are really the game changer there. Mike, you said you haven't been. Michael Pope, have you been to either of those spots? No, I haven't. And I mean, I would say that I'm green with envy about yellow, but that would be... (laughs) We're all about the puns today. Okay, well, speaking of yellow, like I said, I've been to La Tejana. I have not been to yellow. And so we have ordered it and I have it here. Priyanka is opening a yellow bag. <laughs> it's, it's quite literally yellow. Okay, so I ordered three things. She's removing objects from this bag. Okay, I ordered something called a, it's spelled K-A apostrophe A-K. I would guess that's Ka'ak, but I'm not 100% sure. And the flavoring was called Urfa thing, which I have no idea what that means, but it looks kind of like a, how would you describe it? It's almost like a bagel without a hole. They call it a bagel purse because it does have this tiny little hole that you can hold it. It's apparently a Lebanese street food. And I got it with a scallion sumac lubne. Like you put it on top of it or you dip in it? I'm dipping because I think it's easier, but... Are you supposed to like cut it and and then use a knife? Well, if it's street food, you probably are supposed to walk around with it. I You don't walk around the streets with a bread knife? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> mm, this is good. It's spicy. The dip spicy or is the bread spicy? Both. But I think I'm mostly getting the bread. I looked it up on the Orfa flavoring is like these Turkish chili peppers. So I think I think it's the bread that's mostly hitting me with the spice. Mm, that's so really what else good. did you order? So I also got a Harissa egg croissant. It looks like a little muffin with a hole in it. And then there's oh yeah an egg inside. Ooh. Yeah, and it's like a soft egg. If I like break this apart. It's like those muffins that have cream cheese in the middle. Yeah, kind of. And like a massive yolk right there. Okay, this is not going to be pretty to eat. I'm glad no one can see me do this except for you two. It's mm. it's looking pretty uncouth there, Priyanka. <laughs> I know. Oh my God, this is delicious. Mm. Oh, it's so good. Like the egg is run, like the yolk is runny. There's a layer of harissa, which is like a Moroccan spice. On underneath the egg that you can see between the pastry and the egg, it's like flavorful and the pastry is so flaky. Oh my God, this was amazing. So you've got your egg and you've got your bread. It's all in a, like a, it's neatly packaged for you. You don't have to put it on a plate. Yeah, exactly. I really wouldn't need a plate. This is, I could easily walk around and eat this. Again, my face would probably be covered in egg yolk, which is again, an un, unsavory look, but savory pastry for sure. Okay, and then the third thing I got was a orange blossom croissant, which I think is just flavoring. I don't think there's filling, but I love orange blossom flavoring. And it's also such like a classic Middle Eastern flavor. And our producer, Julia Karen, has had this before and recommended it. So, Mm, okay, that's really good, too. I am a big fan of yellow. I support this bib gourmand choice. Um, Orange blossom is a very difficult flavor to capture. I used to live in Florida around a bunch of orange groves. And in the spring, when they would blossom, it was the most amazing smell. But difficult to capture in food. That's what I was just going to say. It's also, it can, if you use like an extract, it can easily be overpowering. And I feel like they got the balance just right here. Like it's there, but it's not too much. It's not too sweet, but the sweetness is present. Um, That was really good. And again, it's very flaky, buttery croissant. It's high quality. So there's two new DC restaurants on Bib Gourmand this year. How many does that make total? 
30. We have 30 big Brahman places total. You may remember last year, the additions were Daru, which is in like Indian fusion spot on H Street. There's a Creole restaurant named Dauphine's, Menya Hosaki, which is an amazing ramen place up in Petworth, and Honeymoon Chicken, I guess technically also in the Petworth-ish area, which is such good fried chicken. Wait, where do I find a Bib Gourmand? Is it like a, a list, a book I can buy? Is it a list that exists solely in the digital space? What if I want to like fully immerse myself? Okay, yeah. So the, the list is online, but you can also get the Michelin guidebook if you want, you know, the, the actual thing, collect them every year, have them for posterity, that kind of thing. I'm a hard copy guy myself. In fact, I yeah? collect all kinds of books and guides, especially reference guides are the best. Well, okay. There you go. All right. Well, listen, Priyanka, enjoy the rest of your meal. Michael yeah, Pope, it's awesome to have you here, man. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilbe. Our producers are Julia Karen and Elizabeth Kama. Our newsletter editors are Kayla Koti Severman and Natalia Aldana. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, make a plan to carve the word CityCast in a snowbank at the first blizzard of the year. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. 